Mindfulness Mode 145. You attract the person that you're like. If you want to never go into poverty, increase your mindfulness. Reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness on Mindfulness Mode with me, your host and mindfulness life coach, Bruce Langford. On Mindfulness Mode, I talk with people from all walks of life to discover the many forms of mindfulness and how it's impacted their lives. Last time on episode 144, I talked with Stacy Brookman, and she talked about writing and the power of just taking two minutes a day. She said, that will boost your immune system. Just writing for two minutes a day. So you can imagine what writing for 10 minutes or 20 minutes a day would do. She said, you know, use mindfulness as a writing tool. Writing down your thoughts reduces your worry and reduces your stress. And she says it just helps her discover what her brain is thinking of. So today we're talking with Amanda and Nicholas Bailey, and they are fitness experts and they're really into mindset and meditation too. You're going to discover so many great thoughts and ideas as you listen to today's episode. So I hope you enjoy it. Settle back and well, here it is. Okay, Mindful Tribe, let's get started. I'm totally excited to have Amanda and Nicholas Bayerly on the line today. Hey, Amanda. Hey, Nicholas. Are you in mindfulness mode? Absolutely, we man. We are. 100%. <laughs> That's great. Nicholas and Amanda Bayerly are passionate about health, fitness, and personal development. And they both love helping people reach higher levels of fitness. They're also highly sought-after speakers, specializing in boosting productivity, wellness, and showing businesses the positive return on investment of a healthy culture. Hosts of the popular podcast, How Bad Do I Want It?, Nicholas and Amanda interview inspiring guests and share great coaching tips. Amanda and Nicholas both practice mindfulness on a daily basis. So it is great to have you both here. How are you? Yeah, we're so grateful to be here, and everyone who's listening right now, we're just so uh, honored that you would take time out of your day, which is your most valued asset, uh, to be able to spend it with us today. Thanks, Nicholas. Yeah, we're excited, Bruce. We've been connected on Facebook for a little while now, so I'm excited to um, just dive in deep in this podcast and really inspire your listeners. Thank you. And yes, we have seen each other on Facebook and I've always been impressed by what you've been up to. So tell me, what does mindfulness mean to both of you? Yeah, so I'm sure we'll have a different definition. We didn't tell each other our answers before this, but for <laughs> me, it's it's knowing what you're doing and why you're doing it every second of the day. Uh, there's not one thing. My biggest goal is going through every minute of my day doing exactly like exactly what I chose to do, knowing the outcome of everything I'm doing. I'm not in uh, just autopilot all day. So being mindful to me, being in mindfulness mode is knowing why and what you're doing at every second of the day. Okay, Amanda. So what's it mean to you? I can't wait to hear. <laughs> well, it, it is similar. I think for me, mindfulness and self-awareness kind of coincide together of really being aware of your thoughts throughout the day and really how it plays into your decisions. Um, if you really like take the time before you make a decision and think about what's going through your mind, you'll find limiting beliefs, you'll find 
things that, you know, maybe you didn't know were there before. Um, I know a couple of weeks ago, I even had this with myself of, you know, why am I afraid of working out more? Um, and then I, you know, kind of became self-aware and mindful of, oh, this is why, you know, from this past experience or this limiting belief of someone put on me. So I think it's really becoming self-aware of, you know, the decisions that we're making daily, even really the small ones, because every single thing first starts in the mind. So that's what it means to me. Yeah, it really does start in the mind. And I like your definitions about this. So I'm just wondering what some of the tools of mindfulness are that you use with your clients. Yeah, so a big part of everything that we do is getting people just to to realize why they're doing things. Why are you choosing work over family or why are you choosing work and family over health? And they don't really know the answer. And so discovering that is a big tool that we use to help them become more mindful or more self-aware to be able to realize why am I making the decisions I'm making? What's my true motivation uh, to get them more clear on what to pursue? So a lot of times what that looks like for us is having them put their priorities down on paper, figuring out what they actually want out of life, what's the most important thing, and we make them start with them because if they're not fit, healthy, aware, and and growing, then they can never serve their family and their business and their wives or husbands, whatever it is. Those are usually the top three, um, and they can never like fully express themselves. So uh, usually so- starts with setting up the priorities and then from there – getting clear on their reason why and what their actual goal for the future is in the next 5, 10, or 15 years. And if that reason why boils down to a limiting belief, how easy is it to pull that out of them? Like you already mentioned, it's it's difficult for them to figure out why they're doing what they're doing. But how do you get to the bottom, to the root, to the base of a limiting belief? Yeah, so a lot of times that's what we're here for is to let them know that, no, that's not the core. So what you do is you just keep digging deeper. People think that, oh, oh with, with health, for instance, that they want to lose weight. Okay, well, that's great. That's the, that's the beginning of the actual route that goes down, which is why do you want to lose weight? Well, I want confidence and energy. Well, why do you want confidence and energy? Because I'm not showing up in my family correctly and I'm, I'm coming home and I'm not able to serve my kids or family or my business. Okay, why do you want to serve your kids, your family, and your business? Well, because of this, this, and this. And so if you keep going down the trail, you finally discover what would life be like if there was no impossible, if there was nothing that was impossible, how would you design your life? And that's when we finally get down to that true wise. You have to strip off, if anything was possible, what would you do and be? And then we set up a game plan without any limiting beliefs on how to get there and then start executing. Wow, that's great. And I suppose it varies from client to client, but how long does it usually take to dig in and get to that point where you can actually start on the work? Absolutely. So to be honest, I usually can take people there in a few hours. Um, I've sat with people for five hours before and we still are working together and that's why we have big commitments with each other. With a lot of our clients, I sign a contract, they sign a contract so that we both are like, we're full into this. 
We, we can trust each other because we're committed for a certain amount of time, six months or 12 months, to be able to walk this thing out because we can discover your true why, your true motivation uh, without limiting beliefs exactly where you want to be. But it's not the discovery that's actually the power. It's that walking it out part that's where power comes, actual doing in action every single day, executing on what you now know to be true. So having that accountability is there. So we can help them discover it within a few hours or a full day together. But then from there, walking it out is where accountability comes in because we know that six, you have a 66% better chance of accomplishing whatever you want in life with accountability. Yeah, accountability is huge. I, I have a couple of accountability partners. As a matter of fact, my son is one of them for the summer. He's 14. We go to the gym and we made a, a deal at the beginning of the summer that we were going to be each other's accountability partners. So that's working out. I really agree that it makes a big difference. And so have you ever had clients come to you or a client who said that they really wanted to get fit and they were all about becoming fit building their body a certain way and then once you got to the bottom of their real why and how bad they wanted it it turned out that they really didn't want that at all they wanted something entirely different yes we have definitely had those clients um you know at the end of the day we have personally found that relationships are one of the most important things to people. Um, you know, Nicholas and I are blessed since we have each other. Um, but we have boiled down, um, you know, with a lot of men, their biggest why of wanting to get fit is not just to look good. They just want to attract the woman of their dreams. Like they just want that best friend. They just want someone to do life with. They don't want to be lonely anymore. And that's really their motivation. And that's super, super, powerful um, because you attract the person that you're like, you know, so they already know that they need to change. So that's been one of the main things that we have found with a lot of our clients um, that are single or if they are married to have that deeper, more intimate relationship with their spouse, because right now they, they don't feel confident in themselves. They feel unworthy, all of these different um, things that are holding them back by not having that relationship with their wife. So we have definitely found that verse. Well, Amanda, Nicholas, I just wonder um, what your personal mindfulness looks like in your lives. Like, for instance, let's start with meditation. Is that part of your life? Yeah, so, and I have accountability for this as well. 30 minutes every single day, I have a friend named Drew Canoli. Shout out to him with Organifi. And we have this uh, like thing we do together where it's like we keep each other accountable every single week on meditating or reading something that's more spiritual or um, faith building for 30 minutes every single day. And so on top of that, like uh, there's been a viral video going around about what meditation is. And it's not just like relieving your mind of any thought. So throughout the day, I always try to meditate on things that are faith filled uh, that are impossible things that cannot happen. I, I meditate on the things like that to build my belief to, so that when I look at my problems or I look at what I'm trying to get breakthrough in during the day, it ends up seeming easy or simple because my mind is thinking so big, so out there, so faith filled and, uh, meditating on all these different things of gratitude on how much worse things could be. And I actually just interviewed a guy yesterday who, 
he got in a, in 2011, he got in a car accident and he was a model and he was an actor and a Toyota Tundra ran over his face. And so he had, it was just completely just obliterated, just had his whole face sewn together, all these different things. And so he walked out of the hospital and the guy who set the tone for him said, Hey, you're really lucky. Not many people walk out of this hospital from an injury like that. And just that mindset shift for him changed everything. He could have walked out depressed. My face, I'm an actor, model. My whole identity is ripped away from me. I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. But when that guy said, not many people walk away from that type of injury, you're blessed to be walking out of this hospital. It changed his mindset on gratitude. So that's what meditation looks like to me is focusing on what really matters and realizing that you're more blessed than 99% of the population with where you're at, especially if you're listening to this podcast right now. Yeah, I I agree, and that is a great way to look at meditation, you know, in such a such a positive way. The word meditation kind of conjures up various things with different people, and sometimes it holds people back. Do you have a way of reaching through that, Amanda, so that people are empowered with meditation? I think people get intimidated by meditation because they think, um, like Nicholas said, they have to clear their entire mind of everything, which, you know, I think it takes a practice to be able to, you know, silence all the noise that is going on. But I think, you know, helping people through that is just, you know, being come coming aware of like all of your thoughts that you have and finding the ones that are good, finding the ones that are hope filled, finding that, um, that hope, that dream that you have and, meditating on that rather than trying to clear out everything. Uh, Nicholas and I are very into meditating on the good things. So Mm -hmm. really setting your intention on that rather than just clearing everything out of your mind. Um, I mean, you're, I don't think your mind really ever stops. Like even when you're sleeping, your mind is always going, your spirit's always going and thinking. And so I think it's really trying to hone in on what are the, the good thoughts that I'm thinking and trying to bring about more of those. Well, that is very, very well, well said, Amanda. And for you, Mindful Tribe, as you're listening to this today, you know, don't be afraid of the word meditation. Just embrace it. And if meditation for you is running or meditation for you is something completely different than it is for someone else, so be it. Just enjoy it. Spend the time just letting yourself well, clear your brain in a way, clear your mind, but don't expect your mind to just completely come to a halt so there are no thoughts there at all. I want to go back. I want to go way back. I know, Nicholas, you've been an athlete in your life. Tell us about your life as a child. And were you a mindful kind of kid back then? Oh, absolutely. hundred percent. And I wasn't mindful of of different reason things were happening. I, I battled with depression a lot. I wrote my first suicide letter when I was six or seven years old. Um, but taking it all the way back to when I was two, I was the first kid in the entire world to start racing bicycles. So I had this like big drive. I was two years old. Could you imagine some two year old getting thrown on a bike and pushed down the street? So, 
Wow, that's exciting. Well, I guess I can kind of imagine it, but you wanted to race, so it was just in your blood then, Nicholas. Absolutely, and and obviously my family, if they would have never introduced me to it, I would have never known what I didn't know. So my dad seeing, oh my gosh, why would we give training wheels to him? And I learned an important lesson that day about mindfulness right there was that my dad didn't want to give me something that I wasn't going to use in the future. And I've uh. taken that to every single area of my life. Instead of starting out with training wheels and just testing it and I just go full in and I learned that when I was two years old and my dad said he's not going to ride with training wheels for the rest of his life why start and get a bad habit that he has to get used to again when we have to take them off and then we change sure. the balance so instead he just pushed me down the street I ended up riding because it's either the, it's either that or fall and then we started racing and from there you know I started racing motocross when I was five years old and uh, so I had an actual motorcycle, 50cc motorcycle that I started racing when I was five. And I raced all the way till I was 12. And this is where I wasn't mindful was I would get in these depressed states where I was I was unhappy. My parents were divorced. Uh, I didn't feel comfortable at my dad's house because I was more of like I was more comfortable with my mom. And I didn't know why. Right. I wasn't mindful of why I was just focused right. on what I was doing. And I never did what other people said. I did exactly what I thought was best all the time. And so when I was 12 years old, I was walking into my garage and my dad, he didn't even mean it this way, but I was so vulnerable and so depressed at the time. And I wanted to be the best motocross racer in the world, right? I've always been taught that from the beginning, two years old, youngest kid in the world, start racing bicycles, start racing motorcycles at five. I was like, I want to be the best motorcycle racer in the world, but I knew that it was going to take effort and I knew it was going to take commitment and I couldn't do it on my own. So I went up to my dad and I said, I want to be the best dad. We got to go practice. And he turned and he looked at me and he said, you'll never be the best. Oh, and that crushed wow. me. But I used it as an excuse to back down. I used mm. it as an excuse to quit. It wasn't just the words. He meant that on any given day, there's always going to be someone who can beat you someday. You don't. Sure. You can't yes. always be the best. You can't always right. be number one on every day. I took it as you know, a way out. So I didn't talk to him for two and a half years. I ended up gaining 60 pounds. And that's why our message of health is so important to me because I would have never met Amanda, which is pretty much people's main goal is to find a relationship even more so than business. When we boil it down, mm -hmm. I would have never met, I would have never started a business and I would never be influencing people. I'd never be on this podcast with a story talking about mindfulness. If it didn't first start with me losing that 60 pounds, regaining my health, because um, even though we boil things down and we realize that maybe people don't just want a physical transformation like you talked about, at the end of the day, they wanted to find a spouse or have more confidence. They didn't want just the physical manifestation, but out of the three things, well, there's actually four things in your life you can't outsource. You can't have someone else do for you. The first thing is your spiritual life, the meditation. The second one is your relationships with friends and, and family members. The third one is your relationship with your spouse. No one can do that for you. And the fourth one is your health. No one can take care of you for you. No one can eat for you. No one can make the decisions for you. But everybody has to do all those four things. And so it's, it's 
every single person has to get good at taking care of themselves. And if you could take care of yourself well, then that'll start bleeding into every area of your life. Whatever your top priority is, you need to be doing that with excellence if you want to do all your other priorities with excellence. So um, when I learned that, when I was 60 pounds overweight, I ended up losing 50 pounds and then choosing with my life that I was going to dedicate my life to helping people have that same transformation and having fitness and health fuel every area of their life that they really care about because no matter what as long as you're a human you have to get good at taking care of yourself well that's true and so how old were you when you made that commitment nicholas so i was 17 years old when i lost the 50 pounds and then um i actually shredded up every single picture of myself i never thought that i never wanted anyone to see me like that ever again I had so many insecurities, I was just strangled by them. If you could just imagine 60 pounds heavier than I am now and just being strangled by insecurities and just just drowning in the fact that like I didn't I didn't know who I was. I was wearing a sweatshirt every single day in the middle of the summer. And so I was like I don't want anyone to see that false representation of who I'm not because I'm not that person that they see in that picture. So I ripped them all up. Um, but I realized shortly after that I did it all on my own and no one was there to help me and I had no clue where to go after I lost the weight. So I ended up just eating bad again and kind of just just being right in the middle, not really happy with myself, but at least I wasn't as big as I was. But all all I know is that even uh, like a dead fish floats downstream. No matter what, if you're not growing, if you're not going upstream, you're always going to float downstream. There is no just hibernating in the middle. And so from there, I really, really needed to get clear on what I wanted. So I hired a nutritionist and a personal trainer for a year and a half. And from there, I ended up working with Navy SEALs for two and a half years after that and really getting to know the mindset of a champion and how you overcome from the best people in the world that overcome buds obviously they have to go through that whole strenuous process of of qualifying to be a navy seal and not many people can make it and so you have to have a big why and so learning that for two and a half years with them uh, really propelled us forward into our business wow so you think the same way as a navy seal (laughs) i like to think that i do i like to think that i think higher than a navy seal and one of them's gonna one of them's going to message us after this and be like, oh, yeah, right. Uh, I haven't gone through their program. And right. uh, a lot of them would actually tell you that they couldn't make it through it again where they're at now because they're really? happy. They're content with life. They're like, I wouldn't go through that. Like I couldn't make it through that again because I don't have a big enough why. I don't have a yeah. big enough reason why. But at the time, as long as you have the correct why, you can do anything at the, at the right moment. Wow. Amanda, what did mindfulness look like for you when you were a child? Oh, my goodness. Such a good question. Um, I grew up as an athlete as well. Um, so really changing the mindset of becoming a, a, a champion, like Nicholas said. But for me, I grew up with amazing parents that always told me that I could do anything I put my mind to. Um, they just told me to pursue my passion, pursue my passion, anything you want to do, you can do it. And so I had a very, I was just a very motivated child. Uh, My parents were like, I don't know where you came from, but (laughs) um, that's just, that's just how I was. And so, you know, I excelled in school, I excelled in sports because I just, I believe it was because my parents spoke such good positive words over my life um, every Mm -hmm. single day. And so it really, uh, I never had a thought that I couldn't do something. Um, 
you know, finally, like I, I did develop those as I got older when people told me, oh, you can't go to, um, you know, college for volleyball at your position because you're only five, five and everyone who plays your position is like five, 10 and higher, you know, on height. So, um, but growing up, I never had those limiting beliefs. Um, I just went for it and, and that really propelled my life. You know, I'm 22 years old and I wouldn't be here where I am today running a very successful company, being able to speak, being able to influence other people with our podcasts and such. If I didn't have, um, that incredible mindset growing up of reading really positive books, um, surrounding myself with, you know, positive people in my life and coaches and team and always just surrounding myself with those people that are pushing you. Um, you know, I always had a coach growing up always. And so, you know, when I stopped having a coach, I gained 25 pounds and I just wasn't, um, excelling in, you know, my health and different areas because I didn't have that accountability anymore. I didn't have that person pushing me every single day to become the person that I knew I could be. And so, you know, when I met Nicholas, he's actually the one who coached me to, you know, live a healthier lifestyle five years ago. And so I think that, uh, for me having that coach really, helped me become more mindful because it really shifted my mindset. I couldn't have those limiting beliefs, you know, with them. They just do it. You know, there's, there's no excuse. <laughs> right. Right. So you mentioned volleyball, Amanda, what other sports were your favorites? Uh, I played tennis as well. I started playing, I think when I was about six, so did that for a while. And then it was funny. Everyone was like, Amanda, you should try out for the volleyball team. And I was like, no, I'm a tennis player. Um, this was in fourth grade. And so I was like, okay, so tried out. None of my friends made it. I made it. (laughs) Um, and then, yeah, that, that propelled, um, propelled me to play volleyball full-time all year round for about five years. I came out, um, you know, trained with all of the college athletes that were the top, um, in the, in the industry. So in, in my position, so that was, um, that was a huge, huge blessing that I had in my life to be able to have parents that supported me in that. Right. So you played during school and during that time of your life. Now that you run such a successful coaching and speaking business, what motivates both of you to still stay, stay fit? Uh, Because I know it's everything, you know, coming from, it's hard for people that haven't experienced tragedy or something that happened, me gaining 60 pounds, I can directly correlate health to the success of business. And uh, Richard Branson actually has a study on his wellness site when he shows the success in business when people invest in wellness and invest in their health. The tr- uptrend of their business is so dramatically higher than the people that don't. And so, you know, just looking at the statistics for me, I can just, I can just obviously see it. We had our, we took our health more seriously last month because this is the thing: how you do one thing is how you do everything. And with us, our health is the number one priority. Me being my best self is a higher priority than my wife, a higher priority than my business, higher priority than my family, a higher priority than everything. Because I know I can't show up 
if I don't work on that first. I can't show up to them and be the person I'm meant to be. So if I can't do that well, which has to do with physical fitness, it has to do with uh, what I feel myself with, if I can't do that well, then it's going to affect every single area that I care about less than that, right? So it's figuring out what is your number one priority and you have to give that excellence or else who knows what's going to happen to the things that, if that's how you treat your number one priority, how are you supposed to have everything else flourish when you can't even treat that with 100% excellent? So for me, we invested more so in our health than ever last month, and we 3 x our business last month, multiple five figures. So um, I just see the direct correlation all the time. When I give that excellence, every other area of my life grows. But here's the thing. Health is the only thing that actually impacts every area when you invest in it. You gain confidence, which helps you show up better at home or maybe attract that right spouse. It helps you close more business deals. You look more like a leader. You gain more energy, which is more productivity in the day. If you gain one hour of productivity per day, that is 20 whole work days of work that you get per year over the person who's lacking one hour of energy a day. So that three o'clock slump, if you can conquer that through health, you're growing your business or you take that extra time and you spend more time with friends or family or having fun, no matter what, it impacts every area of your life. And I can see that because I lost my health. And so I see the ROI of investing myself. And that is my constant motivator that I can never be my best unless I invest in myself. Wow. I, uh, I just love how emphatic you are and how passionate you are about this, Nicholas. And, and of course, you too, Amanda. I've actually worked in bullying prevention for a long time. You may know that. And I've seen how mindfulness can really make a huge difference in the lives of children or adults who have been bullied. I'm wondering if either one or both of you have a story about where maybe you've been bullied in adulthood or childhood or where mindfulness would have made a difference. Hmm. Yeah. I think, I mean, I personally, I was the most popular girl in school and I was bullied, you know, because, you know, people like to make rumors about you and put you down, especially if you Mm -hmm. are nice and you're good looking, people don't, uh, people are jealous. And so I would have really, you know, I, I did have mindfulness, but you know, to have that even more in like the school setting, um, would have really been helpful. Uh, thankfully, you know, I did have parents that were very into that and other mentors. So I know the importance that it has because I could have let that got me down. I could have let that, you know, create really bad habits, you know, especially for people that are overweight, that aren't healthy when they're bullied, what do they do? They then try to, binge eat or not binge eat, but, um, what's it called? Bulimic become bulimic and then anorexic because of the facts of not, they, they believe the kids, they believe the bullies that Mm -hmm. told them that they were ugly, that they were fat, all of these, all these different things. They didn't have a good positive role model in their life to tell them otherwise. So they went to sabotaging themselves. So I think it's very, very important. Right. What about you, Nicholas? I totally have this. Um, Growing up, obviously, I was the shortest kid in all of my classes every single year. I was the number one person to walk down the aisle on my eighth grade graduation in front of all the girls. So I was the shortest person in the entire eighth grade class. And so because of that, I always had to like 
act strong or I had to scare mm. people because if anyone ever picked a fight with me, I was already screwed. You know, I was like, yeah. I, I was 91 pounds, uh, graduating eighth grade. So, and to think that I went all the way past 160 right after that is crazy. But so mm. 91 pounds graduating. But the thing is, is with mindfulness comes transformation because you can't stay the same with mindfulness. So to say, um, if I had more mindfulness when I was overweight and people, pointed things out with me because this is what happened is I, I, after I was all scrappy and small, then all of a sudden I became the fat short kid and I was, I gained 60 pounds or actually 70 pounds from eighth grade until my, uh, sophomore year of high school, I gained 70 pounds and only grew three inches. So I wasn't like a growth spurt. So I was mm -hmm. just the fat kid all of a sudden and kids would point out all the time little things. They didn't even think it hurt that bad, but it just cut into you crazy. They'd be like, Whoa, look at those nipples popping out of that shirt. And I'd be like, Oh my gosh. And that's when I wore a sweatshirt every single day. Mm, so of yeah. course I could have been more mindful and realized that, no, I should love myself. But with mindfulness also comes transformation every single time. So right. if I was mindful of my situation, I would have never, uh, gone down the trail of becoming depressed and overweight. So it would have saved me from the entire situation altogether because I would have been mindful of why things were happening, why I was doing the things I was doing and reacting in the way because every single thing that you do today is a reaction to something that happened to you in the past, every single decision that you made. So it would have saved me from gaining weight altogether. But being on the other side of the coin, I would never be here with an inspiring message if that would have never happened. So um, – but it's 100% preventative. If you want to never go into poverty, increase your mindfulness. Be Realize why you're doing it. Discover your true motivation. You'll never gain weight. You'll never be out of shape. You'll never be unhealthy because if you're mindful of the whole thing and you understand it, you'll never go down the path where someone could even point something out that's wrong with you and you would never think that there's something wrong with you. So altogether, man, it's just a, it's a crazy cycle. Um, I don't think mindfulness is ever paired uh, with staying in the same place. Mindfulness always causes transformation. Wow. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Amanda, Nicholas, my next questions are part of the multi-mode round. Just short 30-second answers are perfect. Here's the first one. Who is one person who has influenced your mindfulness practice? Uh, our good friend and mentor, Drew Cannoli from uh, FitLife. He has completely changed our life. He's literally the most conscious man I think I've ever met, <laughs> besides Nicholas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How has mindfulness affected your emotions? Uh, mindfulness has uh, totally affected our emotions through um, being able to control them. Your emotions don't control you. People think they do. Once you mm -hmm. become mindful, you can control your emotion and you can change your emotion uh, whenever you want. So the better you get at that, that's how it's changed us is that uh, we don't react to things anymore. We just right. choose what we want to do from there on out. So that's what mindfulness has done for us and our emotions. Great. Great. Tell us how breathing is part of your mindfulness practice. Oh, every single day, every single morning, um, always just being mindful of our breath. If you don't breathe, you die. So it's the literally the most important thing in our lives that we need to become more aware of. Um, so it's just starting out our day with, uh, you know, a few minutes of four seconds in, uh, doing box breathing. So breathing is really, really important. If you could recommend a book related to mindfulness, what would that be? 
So for us, it's the Bible. Um, I like meditating on truth. And so if you're just starting out, like, or you want bigger belief, all you do is go in there, you pick out a scripture that's full of faith. That's something that you're like, Oh, I want that. And you meditate on that all day. So if anything happens, you meditate on that exact scripture. And that's been one of the biggest transformations for us. Excellent. Can you share an app which helps you to be more mindful? Oh, my goodness. I personally just use the app of my notes because I believe when we become mindful, um, we have higher thoughts come to us and really, really amazing ideas. Some of the most amazing ideas that I've had have come out of meditating. So I personally just keep that note because I want to write that down. I don't want to forget it. So that's personally what I use. Nicholas, do you have a, an app? You know, I don't really use different apps for that. There's actually, I mean, there's actually a meditation app that I've used um, that's actually referred by Drew Canoli, and it's Focus at Will. So Focus and then the at sign Will. And that's actually just different types of music that will help you kind of uh, be able to flow with the song. So whatever mixes up with you, I listen to the ADD one. It's crazy noises everywhere, and it helps me focus more. So um, out of anything, I try to stick away from, stay away from my phone. Uh, when I'm trying to get clear on something uh, because our phones are never arm length away from us. And that's been like a big thing for people. So, um, you know, just trying to stay out of the phone, thinking, thinking that you have to think through scrolling through Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat, just so you know, you're not able to think as well when you're doing that. So if you still think that that's true, stop that, you know, get clear on your thoughts. It's productive to take notes, like Amanda said, on the things that you're thinking and do a brain flush with your notes where you write down everything that you're thinking about so that you're not overwhelmed anymore. And you realize that there's not that much to do at the end of the day. There's just a few things. You make a strategy for it and you get it done. And you're able to walk in more clarity. That's great advice. I'm going to do a brain flush. <laughs> that's, that's good. I like that term. Wow. It has been such a pleasure to spend time with both of you today. It really has. And I just wonder, how can we learn more about what you do? How can we connect with you? Would you share that with us? Yeah, so you can connect with us um, on our website. Check out what we do, thetruechallenge.com. Um, but the best way to connect with us is through um, either our Facebook page, Nicholas and Amanda Barely, or our Snapchat, Amanda Barely, Nicholas Barely. We uh, we're actually Snapchatting this interview, uh, Russo. Thank you so much. Um, <laughs> that's probably the best way. We document pretty much our our entire day of different health hacks that we're doing, different mindfulness things that we do. So that's our best resource snapchat well now actually they have the uh they have this instagram snapchat deal going on so we might be on instagram a lot more as well so just look up the same name nicholas and amanda barely and yeah we're on there now so we'll be snapping on instagram okay great great to know well snapchat's a lot of fun isn't it <laughs> yes yeah we love it <laughs> yeah well again it has been really great to connect with you thanks for coming on the show and have a great rest of your day thank you bruce Okay, bye now. Thank you so much for joining us today on Mindfulness Mode. For insightful blog articles and show notes for every episode, check out mindfulnessmode.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, you could help us out by clicking on the iTunes link on our website and leave a rating and review. 
Next time, Mindful Tribe, I have a powerhouse guest. His name is Jeremy Ryan Slate. He's transformed people's lives with his own form of mindfulness. I look forward to sharing his story with you. So use what we've learned today with Nicholas and Amanda to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.